Um, for those of you that were here last week and Lindsay spoke to us, um, we had a real treat. So to, to um, go back and listen to the recording if you weren't here <clears throat> and listen to what he had to say. I mean, one of the things that he, 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 he spoke on or that he basically read, we've got Mike to read, in fact, was uh, Matthew uh, 14. <clears throat> and it was Jesus calling Peter onto the water. And Jesus was, uh, Peter and the disciples were in the boats and there was a, it wasn't particularly a calm waters. It was choppy, so it wasn't very, very comfortable. But it was a lot more comfortable than stepping out onto a water <laughs> and believing that that water would hold you and that Jesus' word was true and that as he walked towards Jesus, he would be able to walk on the water but that's exactly what Peter did. He stepped out and he walked on the water. And uh, I think Lindsay was challenging us last week of getting out of our comfort zone and stepping out of the boat, however comfortable it may feel. Even if it's choppy, you feel a little bit of security in the things that you know, the things that you can depend on, you know, the things that are, you, know, you can rely on. And sometimes, actually, Jesus calls us and it makes us a little bit unsettled because he calls us to step onto something which is unknown, doesn't it? Something that we don't know what's going to happen, but we know that Jesus will hold us. We know the truth, the reality that he is for us in every way and he longs to, to hold us, to, to lead us. And um, this whole story about stepping out onto the water, um, I don't know how many years ago it was now, it must have been about five, five or six, four or five years ago, <coughs> Wendy and I were doing a course at Eastgate called School of Supernatural Life. And um, it was during the worship time that I had this story come into my mind. And rather than Peter stepping out, <coughs> Jesus was calling me to step out. <clears throat> so I stepped out. And as I stepped out, I felt the Lord say, I want you to start an encounter group. I want you to start an encounter group. And so I, I spoke to David about it. <clears throat> it was just left at that. I wasn't sure what it meant, how it was going to happen, what God was wanting in all of that. Um, and then sometime later... Um, David mentioned that Fads had a, a similar vision for worship and teaching in worship. And out of that birthed the encounter evenings that we have at the <coughs> last Friday of every month. So if you haven't been and you can make it, come along. They're great times of worship, of really going deeper. And the purpose of it <coughs> and the thing that is on my heart and really what I want to say this morning, although I've got a lot of things, different things to come up, is this. It is that God wants to encounter us. He wants to meet us in ways we've not seen or expected or you know, known before. And it could be as serious as stepping out before we actually encounter <laughs> the Lord. But it is a place that the Lord wants us to be experiencing him. And I don't know about you, it, it's an experience actually that is more than just the, the mind. 
It's an experience that he wants us to have in our hearts. You know, the mind's important. You know, Paul reminds us in Romans 12 to be transformed by the renewing of your minds, doesn't he? So it's important that we do that. It's important we get into the word. But what often I think we miss is that we miss the fact that the Lord wants intimacy with each one of us. He wants that closeness with us. And um, there's, there's a, there's a I, I think David spoke about this verse before and gave a little bit of the meaning behind it before. But in, in Genesis 4, verse 1, where it says that Adam had relations or sex with Eve, that can be interpreted Adam knew Eve. Adam knew Eve. There was a, there was a sort of a depth of intimacy that brought a knowledge that he couldn't get just by knowing, well, that's Eve. I know where Eve came from. Eve came from here. <laughs> you know, it's more than just the, the mental assent and understanding. It was a heart response. And, um, you know, Miranda has ruined certain words in the vocabulary. I don't know whether you, you've watched Miranda, but I'm going to read a verse now <laughs> which basically uses a word that Miranda used, but it's in Hosea 2, verse 14. It says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her. Allure. I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak kindly to her. It's showing the Lord wooing Israel back. And the thing that's interesting in that verse is that, he's, that, that the Lord says... I will bring her into the wilderness. That's, a, that's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? But if you think that Israel's covenant was from in the wilderness with Moses, it came in the wilderness. And I think that the, what is being said is that the Lord wants them to come back to covenant relationship, covenant um, fellowship with him. He's wooing us to himself. He's pulling our heartstrings, our emotions towards him. And it, it sort of reminds me of a verse as well that we've heard quite a bit recently in um, Revelation 2, verse 4. But it's the letter to the Ephesians where Jesus says, <clears throat> but I have this against you, that you have left your first love or you have forgotten your first love. And this is to a church that was doing good works, was persevering, was holding strongly to the truth, but their hearts were not fully engaged with the Lord. I have this against you, that you have forgotten your first love. The Lord just wants us to be, he wants, to, he wants, us to, he wants to love us, and he wants us to experience that love. The longing of his heart is that we know him. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about his ministry. He talks about his ministry of reconciliation. And he explains in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 4, what it is that drives him. He says this, Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. It's not duty. 
It's not a sense where I have to do these things because it says in the Bible I have to do them. Sometimes we need discipline in our lives, so we need to hear things and we need to just correct our lives. But sometimes, and I think most of the time, the Lord is wanting us to to know his love, to encounter his love. The title for my talk this morning is Seeking the Treasure. I'll just have some water. My voice is going... And um, it's the, I don't know whether you're aware of it, I, I, I probably wasn't, but it's the second Sunday of Advent. It isn't the first. So the, the first was actually in November. It was a bit off-putting. I wasn't quite aware of that. So it's the second Sunday of Advent. So we're going to look at, um, at a verse, a Christmas story, okay? We're going to look at a Christmas story. We're going to begin our Christmas stories today in this place. And... Um, I want to talk about the account of the Magi, or the wise men, or as popularly known as the three kings, although there's nowhere in the Bible that it says there were three of them, and it doesn't even say that they were kings, but it it makes for a good advent, doesn't it, story, and we're going to have that next week. Um, So I'll start the nativity story, It's, it's Matthew 2, if you've got your Bibles and want to follow me, Matthew 2, 1 to 12, Matthew 2, 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The thing that strikes me about this story is the length that the Magi the wise men went to, to meet Jesus. 
And we don't even know how much they knew about Jesus. They, were, they certainly weren't Israelites, but they made that journey and um, because they had this longing to, 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 to see and to worship the Messiah. I've read that during this time, many Jews, in fact, had been scattered throughout the Roman Empire anyway, and, among, and in the East as well, and that um, they would have carried the hope of the Messiah with them. And interestingly, some little point I, I read, which is an interesting sort of side point, but it's quite, it's quite an interesting one, and it shows how well the Israelites were perhaps witnessing in the areas that they were that had been scattered in, is that the king of Yemen, from around 100, 120 BC to the sixth century, the kings of Yemen professed the Jewish faith. It's therefore highly possible that the Magi, as well as studying the stars and coming to the understanding that the star would lead them to the Messiah, they may have already known about the Messiah through the Jewish witnesses. It may have been that the light that was shining in the Jews, uh, they followed as much as they followed the star that, that was in the sky, the light that was in the sky. Whatever the background, there must have been a longing in their hearts to meet this king, to venture, and to want to come to worship. The treasures that the wise men brought, we all know them, don't we? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And they were of significance for a king. So gold, gold was the, was the was talked of the deity and the kingship of Jesus. Frankincense was the um, frankincense was the the oil. The, the it was the anointing of the prophet, um, and then myrrh was the the purity and the priestly role that Jesus took, and it also was a, a, a it, it it demonstrated something of as well of um, of his death as well. Through all these gifts, Jesus has been described as the prophet, the priest and the king. And interestingly, these were the roles of the Israelites' leaders. It was the prophet, priest, and the king. And in Jesus, all the leaders had come together. He had become the one leader that would lead. And we read in this passage as well that it, it talks about um, the fact that um, let me just look at where it says, he quotes Micah, but it says that Jesus coming out of Bethlehem and that he will be ruler who will shepherd his people. So Jesus as well took on that whole aspect of shepherding and talked to himself as being the good shepherd. And interestingly, in Israel's history, we have prophecies against the leaders that we read in Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34 and it talks about the leaders being bad shepherds. So Jesus personified the leaders that the Israelites were looking for. He brought together everything that the Israelites were looking for. And he was the good shepherd. This was the one that came. And as they laid their, their, their gifts to, or to him, uh, they were recognizing him. They became... His, the treasure, the greatest treasure 
they found was when they encountered Jesus, it wasn't what they brought. The greatest treasure was encountering Jesus for themselves. In Isaiah 9 verse 2, it says this, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And I just want to bring up the first point I want to make. It's seeking Jesus, the treasure. I had a, I had a picture recently. I, a lot of you who know me know that I, I, that's how God speaks to me. I have pictures and God tends to lead me in the, what I should talk about and, and, um, and the things he wants to say through his word, through pictures that come to me as well. And I had a picture of a, of a treasure chest. <coughs> And this treasure chest was locked. It had a little padlock. And it, it needed a key to unlock it. And I was praying about that and I was thinking about what that meant and trying to understand the meaning behind it. And I felt the Lord was said, said that, it is, that the key is desire. The key is longing. It's desire for him, longing for him. And in that treasure chest, there are already all the treasures that we need. They're in him. No, he is that treasure chest. He is the one that we are seeking. He is that treasure. But it only comes when we hunger and we thirst for him. It says in, in Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It's the longing and desire that the Magi had, isn't it? For they're travelling, they're persevering, knowing that he was worthy of all tributes, of all wealth, of all honour, and of all worship. The promise is if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, and we know that Christ, it tells us Christ is our righteousness, if we hunger and thirst for him, that we will be satisfied. We come to a Lord that is available, he's not far off, Lindsay talked about, Sydney about an army of ordinary people. And he said, you know, each one of us, he, 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 I mean, the great thing, I just love the way he talks because he's, he, he loves people and he doesn't put his focus on himself. He says, what I do, we can all do. And he recognised that we are the ordinary people, the army of ordinary people. And he calls each one of us, doesn't he? to step out and to do his will. But often, not only is the, the lock key for desire needed, but there is a sense that we, we need to recognise that the Lord values us and actually wants these things for us. They're not for Lindsay. They're not for David. They're not for whoever you may look to, up to. Um, they're not for your heroes of for the faith. They're actually for you and they're for me. They're all available. Everything, the treasure of Jesus is available for us. But it requires us, doesn't it, to have that desire, that hunger for him to be able to see it and to unlock it. One of my love, favourite passages, in fact, we, we, we read it at our house group recently, is um, Paul's account of his desire for Jesus. Um, so if you've got your Bibles and you want to follow this with me, 
It's Philippians 3, verses 7 to 14. Philippians 3, verses 7 to 14. And you can get excited, okay, when I'm reading this, okay? These are Paul's words, but they are so, so, so exciting. They really are. They really are. But whatever were gained to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward, in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the centre of our lives. Everything else is rubbish compared to Jesus, compared to who he is, what he gives us, what he's done for us, how he gave his life for us, how he's risen so that we can live a victorious life in him. It's all possible. It's all possible. The bar can be lifted up. Simon encouraged us for this when we were praying for him recently. The bar can be lifted up. It can, because nothing is too difficult for him. He is the one who holds us, and we need to persevere, and we need to run. We need to forget what lies behind. Whatever it is, it may be good, but it may not be the best. We've got to look to him who holds us. The verse I've read in Philippians as well is, is a verse that was written on the inside cover of a book that was given by my best friend at the time. So um, we grew up together. Um, I became a Christian through his witness. Um, We went to school together. Um, I I left Cardiff when I was 20 to come to London to go to college. We shared a house together. We were best friends And we knew each other really, really well and were very close. In fact, Wendy and I moved from Notting Hill Gate to Catford to come to be at the church that he began to lead with my sister. By the way, he became my brother-in-law because he married my sister. (laughs) So you get the idea. I sort of knew him. I knew him. And... um, what happened is that we were there for a few years and then we, we had a meal together. And I, I remember this meal 
quite well, and I'll explain why I remembered it. But we were sharing our sort of dreams and our desires and what we really hoped for. And as he was sharing, I, I, I just, I, he was very, very self-focused. There wasn't anything that was God-focused. And I remember that because I challenged him. I said, you know, isn't that really selfish, the things that you're <coughs> desiring? And um, what happened after that is he, he became a changed man. I noticed the change. His heart became hardened. He got involved and in, he became deceived. He had affairs with women. And then he, he died before he was his age of 20, before the age of 30, he had died of cancer. Everything sort of took a spiral downwards. Because he, he and I mention it, the only reason I mention it is that his desire had changed. I looked up to him. He was a role model for so many people. He was a leader. He was so charismatic. He was following Jesus hard. And I, I loved him and I followed him. But his desire changed. It was no longer God-focused. It became, I've got all this I want to do in my life. Not, this is what God wants to do in my life. You see, because desire <coughs> is the key that opens up the treasure. And if we don't have it, we can't see it, we can't experience it, we can't live in it. We need desire, we need passion in our hearts. We need a fire in our bones. We need to move from complacency <laughs> to a place of, yes, Lord, whatever it takes, I am here for you. I want to do it because you have called me. You have saved me. Thank you, Lord. Yes. We want to see the treasure as well that is within us. I had a picture of a bowl with treasure and you, you could see the treasure through the water. It was at the bottom. But the water had to stay still in order for you to be able to see the treasure that was in the water. And it's like us, isn't it? Often we need to be still. We need to recognise that the Lord just wants to reveal what's in our, in our lives and he's given us. But I think so often many of us <coughs> will actually not want to do that because we want to hide from ourselves. We don't necessarily like what we see about ourselves. We perhaps look into our hearts and we don't see that we're loved. Perhaps we feel that we're judged. Perhaps we feel that we're being criticised. Perhaps we feel the things that have been said to us, they've affected our lives. And we don't want to, them to surface again. We want them to stay at the bottom. But the treasure is at the bottom. And sometimes it does need us just to to say, Lord, I, I'm willing for you just to bring up anything that needs being brought up so that I can see how you see me. Because the Lord sees us with such love. He doesn't see us with judgment or condemnation. 
He sees us with a love and a passion that took him to the cross. Every sin of ours is on the cross. We have the divine exchange. His life has become my life. And if you've given Jesus your life, if you've surrendered to him, then that's true for you. (coughs) And everything of my sin was put on the cross, so I don't need to harbour and and look at it. It's there. Talking about being still, in our house group, um, Nick will remember this. I'm not sure there's anyone else in our group here. I'm Wendy, obviously, and um, Mark as well. We, we were in the, in the house group, and we, we're going through Psalm 23 at the moment, and um, we looked at just that phrase, he leads me beside quiet waters. And an interesting fact I didn't know about, but I, we heard about when we studied that part of the psalm, is that sheep will never drink from water that is flowing. It always, it always has to be still. It can never flow. And the Lord wants us to drink, but we need to be still. We need to have that stillness often. And Simon talked about the meditation, and Johan spoke about in I remembered what you said. Johan talked about the vine and being connected to the vine. And, you know, it, it is that... We need to have that, that time where it says, and it's, it's right over there, over the door. We can't miss it. It says, be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46. <laughs> That's how we get to know God. Be still and know that I am God. Um, Eric Delve uh, came before John left. You'll remember that he came and spoke here, those who were here at the time. And um, I came up for prayer afterwards. And uh, he, took, he took a look at me and um, he said, you, you, haven't got re- there's no, there's, you haven't got rest in, your, in, your, in yourself, have you? You haven't got any rest in you. And, and he was right. He was right. I, I was sort of striving, looking, looking for acknowledgement and from other people because I didn't believe, perhaps, that I was worth it. You know, this wasn't long ago, and Jesus has taken me on a journey of discovering how much Jesus actually does love me. And we need to just be still, allow the Lord just to speak to us in our rest. So we've looked at seeking Jesus to treasure, and that the key to unlocking this treasure is desire. We've looked at seeing the treasure the Lord has put in each of us, and the need for us to be still. And finally, hopefully it comes up. Finally, there we are. Hopefully, yes, here we are. We need to bring our treasure to Jesus. We need to be bringing our treasures to Jesus. Magi gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They gave something of such great value. They were costly. They were beautiful. 
the last encounter evening that we had, <clears throat> we, we were worshipping, and I had a picture, as we were worshipping, of beautiful jewels that were on the floor by people, each person that was worshipping. Each person was worshipping, there was these beautiful jewels there. There was. It was, it was a wonderful, wonderful thing to see. See. And it reminded me of you know, John 4, 23, the, the great um, conversation Jesus had with the Samaritan woman. And he brings the greatest revelation, I think, or one of the greatest revelations he brought on worship. And he says this, that the Father is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth. What can we bring our Jesus what can we bring? The hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, finishes with the lines, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And in Matthew 13, 45 to 46, we have a parable of the pearl of great price. And it says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. There is a song, the, the pearl of great price, that actually looks at Jesus being the pearl. But if you read the parable in the context of the other parables, actually the pearl is us. It's you and it's me. We are the pearl of great price that he longs for. And what he longs for is that we give our lives to him. He gave his life for us. And it was for the joy set before him that he endured it because he saw us. He saw who he would make us to be. Fired up, passionate for him, desiring more of him, looking to reach out to see his kingdom coming in wonderful ways. Let's do that. Let's just spend time now praying. Lord, I thank you that you are so good that nothing separates us from your love that your power was made perfect in our weakness, that, Lord, everything that we look to is in you. We thank you that you have covered our sin, and there are no more. Far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And we thank you that, Lord, this morning, with all our hearts, with everything within us, we're pursuing the treasure, Jesus. And we thank you that this Christmas is a Christmas not for tinsel, it's a Christmas for the Son who has come, the light of the world that has shone in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. It cannot overcome our Saviour. 